Good morning, everyone. If you'd like to um, draw your conversations to a close, keep, keep um, chatting to each other afterwards, of course. But I'd just love to say good morning and um, extend Julia's welcome. Uh, welcome to City Church this morning, whether uh, you're here in the building, uh, whether you're at home watching online. Um, I know a few friends of mine in Southampton are watching. Um, I won't mention them by name because it'll embarrass them, but they don't mind. Um, it's my hope today that we're just going to think about this theme uh, of hope uh, that we've been thinking about this morning, we've been singing about this morning. Um, but let me start by asking a question. Who's made a New Year's resolution? Any hands? Any New Year's resolutions? A few? Um, before I was uh, writing this and having a little think about it, I had to think about what do resolutions demonstrate? And I had to look on what the most popular uh, resolutions out there are. Uh, I went, so I went to Forbes, and they gave 10 different examples. Um, maybe the ones that resonate most were uh, a new diet, uh, dry January, physical fitness, new relationships. Now, the one that might caught my eye out in particular was to get a body like Superman. I'll let you decide whether or not that's going to happen. Or you can check, check in with me in a year's time and see what's happened. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because New Year's are often times where we come to things with new resolve. Uh, and we want things to happen. We hope that the next year will be different. And maybe this year it's even more poignant as well. We're looking for a fresh start. We're looking for something to put trust in, to put hope and belief in. And essentially what I want to do for us today is just remind us quite simply, we have hope and it is the best hope in the world. Life has been tough, but at the start of the year, at the start of 2022 for us, as a church, for God's people, I want to assure us there is great and amazing hope. So, uh, to do this, we're going to look at uh, Peter's letter. I'll probably keep saying Paul out of habit, um, but we're going to look at Peter's first letter. So if you have a Bible, uh, and it may appear on screen behind me as well, uh, please turn to 1 Peter, and we'll go from verse 1 of chapter 1. So just give you a second to find that. So Peter writes, To God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to God, to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, your, that the, pro the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, 
glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why don't I just pray quickly for God's help for us. Father, thank you uh, that you speak to us. You speak to us by your spirit. You speak to us through your scriptures, through your word. And I just do pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say uh, and give us um, hearts that are willing and ready to respond as well. Amen. Peter is writing a letter to a church under pressure. He's writing to the people of God, we see in verse 1, God's elect strangers in the world. And he describes them as exiles. It's a group of Jewish and Gentile believers, people who are uh, of the original group of God and people who have come to God uh, later on. He's writing to a group of people under pressure. They're exiles or aliens in their land. Why? For following Jesus. Uh, they may be facing social exclusion, ridicule, or even death. But Peter is writing to this church to encourage them. Now, we're not necessarily facing those circumstances in such a direct way as the original uh, readers of this letter would have been. But what Peter is teaching them is that even amid times of difficulty, we can have real hope. And what I believe Peter is teaching us today is to have uh, real hope true hope, even in difficult circumstances. It may be we're thinking of the circumstances of the past year or circumstances that may yet come our way. It may be for us, wouldn't it, that for the year that we've had and after the years that we've had, God just wants us to know, however difficult life gets, there is promise and there is hope. So, Peter starts this letter to his readers by reminding them of the hopes that they have, and that's what we're going to do. We have great hope. Look at the start of his talk, of his message. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is essentially the great hope of the gospel message. His first thing is, remember who you are. This is a great and real hope. Remember who you are. You're a people bought by God, his special possession. And he calls in the very first verse of the letter, God's elect, God's chosen people. But he reminds his people by just saying, remember the mercy and the love that God has shown you. Verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. And it may be that we come to the gospel each time and it comes incredibly familiar. But at the start of this year, can we just remind ourselves of the incredible depth and the incredible riches of what the gospel actually is? It's often we can trot a phrase off, um, off the front of our, our lips. But it's just, Peter reminds his readers, it's mercy. It's a loving God who created a people who went away from him, who fall into sin, who fall into brokenness. But a God who was not willing to let the people that he made and the people that he loved remain that way. But by coming in the person of Jesus Christ to die and to rise again so that we can be forgiven of sin. So that we can be set free. This is how Peter says it. We've been born again 
We have a new life. We are new creations. The old has gone and the new has come. The true light, John writes, and we're thinking about Advent that was coming into the world, has come into the world. The light that brings life. So quite simply, can we start this year by reminding us that through God's great mercy, we've been given hope. Why? Because God loves us. He's chosen us to be born again. He's shown us amazing grace. The love that he gives us isn't something that demands anything from us to receive it. But it's a free gift. And we're, from that, we are free from sin, free from death, as we've been reminded this morning, and have the hope of eternity. But Peter's hope isn't just something that is uh, fanciful, you could say. It's rooted. Do you see how he describes it uh, in that verse? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's hope is validated because Jesus rose again. Everything that he said he would do, everything that was prophesied, the people of old said he would do this, the person who would come who would die and forgive sin and rise again is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And it reminds us, doesn't it, that if, if, if what he has done is true, that if his promises are true, then everything that he says about us is true. So if you're following Jesus this morning and you're sat here and you're listening, Jesus says we are forgiven. Jesus says we will not die. Jesus says he loves us. And it's interesting, isn't it? The things that we can hope in, they can quite easily fade. But this hope remains. Peter is reminding his readers, first and foremost, you have hope. And our first reminder of this very, at the start of this year is we have a true and living hope because Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ died for our sins, and Jesus Christ rose again, and Jesus Christ will return again. You are forgiven, and you have hope. But you see as well, this hope is a permanent hope. Verse 4, he says, an into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It had me thinking about what is the nature of hope. Hope often is wanting, I think, to believe in something, but not necessarily being sure of the outcome of it, or putting a lot of trust into something that might not necessarily work. If you look back at the start of the year, the hope, and thankfully a lot of this hope has come true, that we placed in a vaccine. Praise God that that has been a helpful and good thing. Or it may be that people put hope in a political system, it's amazing, wasn't it? One year to the, uh, to the day this week since the Capitol riots in the USA, since one disenfranchised group of people uh, rebelled against another, looking for political change, because the thing that they had hoped in hadn't come to fruition. It was very temporary. But this is really different, because Peter is saying the hope that Christians can have in Jesus Christ is permanent, but it's also dynamic. So let's just consider those two things quickly. Permanence, verse 4, he says, this hope will never perish, spoil, or fade. Why, as we've alluded to already, is based on a historic event. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But also, Scripture is full of promises that God makes that then are fulfilled. You can trust that God is true to his word. But also, we can hope, because of this resurrection, Jesus rose and appeared to witnesses. There is certainty. If you follow in different systems, you might find graves of of past leaders. But when you follow Jesus, there's an empty tomb because he rose. This hope is permanent because it's based on something that happened. But it's also dynamic. So it's not just about something that happened, but it's on something that is continuing to happen now. Later on in the letter, in uh, verses 23 to 25 of chapter 1, Peter refers to this a lot. He talks about we are born again, not just to a past event, but to a a present and future reality. I'll just read those to us now. It says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so have sincere love for your brothers, love, for one, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. When Jesus rose, he did not leave us alone, but he left us with his spirit, the Holy Spirit that speaks to us today, that assures us of our, of our salvation, and even today meets with us and draws us close, the Holy Spirit who is God. But as well, our relationships with God aren't things based on the past. They're dynamic. They're every day. We pray and we speak. We can have knowing and true relationship with him today. It's something that has substance, and it's something we can taste now. And Peter really wants to hammer this home to his readers. He contrasts that with a lot of the things on the hope of men. Look at verse 24 of chapter 1. He says, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. But grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We can hope in many different things, can't we? Many good things. But Peter is remaining, is reminding his readers, put your hope in the true God. His promises, his goodness, the hope that he offers isn't temporary, but it's based on something permanent. But also, God's promise is remaining to be kept today. You see in the middle of verse 4 there, it says, this hope that is being kept in heaven for you. Because the great hope is that when Jesus died and rose again, he then ascended into heaven and is now sat at the right hand of the Father. And what that means is for me and for you, he is interceding on our behalf. But also this hope that will be fully revealed because he promised to come again. But for now, we can have great confidence that he intercedes on our behalf. God promised a Messiah and a salvation that will come. He fulfilled it in Jesus, the greatest fulfillment of promise. He can be trusted. The great uh, Baptist minister, Charles Spurgeon, puts it this way. He says, my hope lives not because I'm a sinner, but because I'm a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, 
for that being unholy, Jesus Christ is my righteousness. And my faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in who Jesus Christ is, in what he has done and what he is doing for me right now. So friends, what are you hoping in this year? Can I encourage you to start 2022? Look again at Jesus. Put your hope in him. What does it mean to have this hope? Let's think secondly. This is a hope that endures and helps us in the most difficult of times. This hope is greater. This hope stands up to pressure and stands up to suffering. Look again at verse 6. He says, in this, talking about the inheritance, the greatness, the goodness of the gospel, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may, uh, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Isn't that a paradox, having hope even though you are suffering? I think what Peter is drawing out here is the difference between knowing deep hope and feeling hopeful about something. It may be that actually, I, I don't know everybody's story here, but we've been through all different kinds of things in the past years, or we are going through different kinds of things now. It doesn't necessarily mean we feel joyful, but we can have hope. We endure suffering, Peter says, based on hope. In a world where it's not meant to be this way, but it will be better. And you see Peter's reference for a little while. How can we live in this world? I think we refer to it as the sort of the now and the not yet. In a world where Jesus has come in hope and will come again, but we're in that in-between stage. In the now and the not yet. And it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that being a follower of Jesus doesn't necessarily guarantee a good and perfect life. But it does guarantee us a life where we always have hope. This is uh, particularly poignant for me at the moment as well. Uh, so about in the last week, it was six years since my mum died. And during that time, it was a time where I really realized what it is to have true and lasting hope. Uh, if ever you've been with somebody who's suffering in their final days, you know the sort of the depths of the grief and the depths of the problem and the depths of the, the suffering and the rightful lament that you have in that situation, because it's not meant to be that way when somebody dies unnecessarily early. But it doesn't mean you can't have hope. Because what are you putting your hope in? And however much I try and make sense of it over the years, one thing remains with me, is that my mum's hope, first and foremost, was that she was with Jesus Christ. She was going to see Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus said was true. What Jesus said of her was true. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians talked about, uh, we do not grieve without hope. Do you see, even in the most difficult of circumstances, the goodness of the gospel, the glory of Jesus, and what he has done for us, and the love that he gives to us even now, means that we can have the most deep hope in the most difficult of circumstances. 
And there's something glorious about that as well. Verse 7, Peter writes, These have come, the trials that he's referring to, that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. So you see what he's saying? Even gold, what, the things that we value most in this life, they're nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to the hope, our faith that is in Jesus Christ. He's saying even in the suffering, these things have come, that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a weird paradox that in suffering, we draw closer. In suffering, our faith is strengthened. In suffering, we lean on the everlasting arms of God. In suffering, we see the substance of our hope. And in doing that, it's worth considering who is it that we're with in our suffering. Peter is confident that he can tell these people to suffer with hope because he is faithful and he knows the one who is faithful to him. He knows the God that he is referring to. So friends, consider Jesus. Who is this God that is with us in suffering? This is the very God who knows exactly what it's like to live a human life, to face the trials and the difficulties that we face. But it's not a God who is far off and remote and immune to the prospect and the difficulties of suffering. But we're putting our hope in a God who has lived and suffered himself. A God who is with us, Emmanuel, in our suffering. It's interesting, isn't it? We consider the Christmas story, but the reality of Christian faith extends far beyond January when all your decorations have gone down. This is hope that lasts throughout your life because God is with you. He knows what it is to suffer. But also, this is a God who has done something about our suffering. We may suffer, but he has gone to the cross, taking the punishment for sin so that we may no longer suffer, but also bringing us into an inheritance that will never fade because he's done something about suffering. This inheritance that will never fade is that suffering as well, part of that promise, suffering will end because Jesus said he will come again. He'll create a new world where all things are new and wipe every tear from every eye. So do you see what it means to suffer with hope? It's not that we are crushed and without hope, but we have every reason, however hard it may get, there's always hope because God is faithful and his promises will be kept. So look again and trust and see. You have deep joy because Jesus is doing what he said he'll do. But also as well, there's an element in which people take notice of people who suffer with hope. Do you see verse 7? These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Suffering with hope is the most powerful witness. 
It gives glory to God that people who love him are willing to live for him. And this just brings us on to our final thing. We have an amazing hope, the gospel of grace that is true for us today. We have a hope that is so robust that it can stand up in suffering. But also we have a hope that demonstrates the gospel to people. We have a hope that demonstrates the gospel to people. What does it mean for people of faith or people of hope to live? Because this gospel is true, how are we therefore as a church, how are we therefore as followers of Jesus to live? Peter gives four things for us to consider. Because you have hope, be holy. He talks about do not conform when you lived in ignorance. Do not conform to the former way of life. But because you have hope, because you have the goodness of the gospel, even when it's hard, live for God. Live a holy life. Do the right thing. Do God's way. Jesus describes his followers as the salt of the earth. And says, how can a salt remain uh, distinctive if it loses its saltiness? Because you have great hope, live for God. The second thing he says, because you are a people of hope, love one another. Look at chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. You see, this response to love one another is a response based on gospel hope. Peter talks that the church, later on in chapter 2, verse 9, is being built as a people who are the recipients of God's glory and the recipients of God's mercy. So his first command is, you have hope, love one another. How can we do that this year? How can we be a people of hope who love one another well? That's about investing in each other's lives. That's about pointing each other to Jesus. That's about caring for one another when it's hard and it's not the easiest thing to do. It may look like opening your homes or giving up your time to each other. But Peter's argument is that love that God's people have for one another is a countercultural love. In a world that puts me first, put the other first. Peter then encourages them in chapter 2, verse 12, to live good lives. Honor God, honor those around you. See what he writes in chapter 2, verse 12. It says, such, live such good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Because we're a people of hope, we are to live good lives, good lives that honor God. So friends, what does that look like for you this year, whether at work or in school, with your families, with your friends? But Peter's encouragement is that in doing so, people will see what that looks like. But also, what does that look like for us as a church? It looks like blessing and honoring others, doesn't it? 
It may be that you wish to sign up and serve in something like Encounter or Street Life or uh, many other different ways of blessing people, living a good life so that they may see the glory of God. But it means about being distinctive again. It's that call to be a distinctive people. Again, in Matthew 5, Jesus says to his people, you're a city on a hill, or the light of the world, a city on the hill. Consider what that means in a place of darkness, being a beacon of light, that people see there is something different about the hope that Jesus' people have. And finally, he says, because you are a people of hope, speak of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 15, and he's talking about how all this plays out. When you live a good life, when you live a holy life, when you love one another, and the world takes watch of people who live lives for Jesus, which is just so radically different, he says this. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Because, friends, our hope is more than just doing nice things for people as well. It's about calling people to meet the God who loves them. This is a world that needs hope. So live a good life, but also be ready to testify to the goodness of the God who gives you hope. See, following Jesus is far more than just a lifestyle choice. It's a living and dynamic relationship with our creator God who has set us free. It's a hope that stands the test of time. And it's a hope that everybody needs. We could be the richest of all people in earthly terms, but the poorest if we do not have Jesus. And Peter wants his readers to know that is the foundation of hope. And what does that look like then for us then? Maybe this year, this looks like stepping out with a renewed boldness and a renewed encouragement. After the last two years, there's so much we can do to bless and serve our city, which we should be doing. And there's so much we can do to reach them with true good hope by proclaiming the gospel to friends, family, and loved ones who need it. American, Piper, uh, American author John Piper puts it this way. He says, we are the freest of all people because we have hope. And therefore, we are the freest of all people who can love others the best. Friends, can I just encourage you this year, live a good life, bless other people, serve other people, and speak of Jesus to them. How are we to respond then? If you're a Christian here today, my biggest exhortation, uh, I believe Peter's biggest exhortation, is just remember the truth and the foundation of your hope. You have a Savior and a God who loves you deeply and dearly, who's given you a hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade, a hope that is yours now, a hope that will remain whatever life throws at you. It may be here that you're here today, and you don't know what that means. And actually, not knowing the foundation of a solid hope means you're at the mercy of whatever the, the next circumstance happens to you. 
So I encourage you, if you've not considered what this hope looks like or what the person of Jesus Christ looks like for you today, ask questions. Talk to the person who brought you. Come and see me afterwards or the guys at the welcome desk. Because there is a good message and a good news that Jesus stands here today and offers you this very moment that you can have a true and living hope because of his love for you and what he's done for you on the cross. But maybe for us all, can we go into this year assured that we are a people of hope who can step out on the foundation of hope to reach others with true and living hope in Jesus Christ? Why don't I pray and then Pete will lead us in, and Julia will lead us into the next section. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the hope of the gospel, the hope of the good news that is you love us, that you died for us, and you set us free. But Lord, more than that, whatever the future holds, uh, there is hope because you've promised that you will come, we're being kept by you, and you'll make all things new. Jesus, help us to be this year your people, a people of hope, who whatever life throws their way, know the deep joy. And Lord, more than that, just the people who are not willing to keep that hope to themselves, uh, but to share this greatest hope with all they meet. Father, we pray that you would use us as your church to reach this city with the hope of Jesus Christ so that others can know that true freedom and forgiveness themselves. Amen.